whether you're at home or here in person, let this be an opportunity to pour out our praise to Him. The start of this Easter week, the sin, the dark tried to hide you, steal you away. Yes, God, we claim truth in your house today. Death tried to keep you inside of the grave. Yes, it did. The enemy fought you. He tried, but he lost. We declare this today. You cannot be stopped. Do you believe that, church? Yeah. When we cried for freedom, you tore down the
on this Palm Sunday marks the start of this Easter week where our God's promises, His faithfulness put on display by the arrival of a King, Jesus. Yeah.
for whom shall we fear? Father, you made a way. Let us not forget that in times of struggle, in times of doubt, that you remain. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for what this week means. The biggest gift, the biggest sacrifice, the biggest act of your faithfulness on display. And it all started with the arrival of Jesus, our Savior. Your promises seen through to fruition. Father, we worship you for who you are. We pour out our faithfulness to you. We thank you that we can encounter your presence in times like this in worship. I mean, when our hearts are open and when we encounter the presence of the living God, that we are not the same, that a life can be changed, and that is our prayer in this moment, that whatever stirring in the hearts of your people, that it would last, that it would be a life-changing experience. Father, we thank you for your presence. We pour out our hearts to you this Palm Sunday. Our Savior, King, Hosanna, we sing to you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. So good and powerful to worship together in God's house as family. Well, let's welcome each other as family in God's house today. Turn to your neighbor and say, Happy Palm Sunday. time to settle down and get in your seats. I like that. That's good. We love each other. Hey, my name is Darius. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Mount Rainier Christian Center, and uh, I love being here. I love being a part of the church. Welcome. If this is your first time here, uh, man, we're obviously still uh, just coming back from the pandemic and being safe and, and, and doing things in a new way in some ways, but uh, man, and if this is your first time back since the pandemic, man, I, every week I feel like we see new people uh, that I have never met because I came to the church in the middle of the pandemic. And so it's so cool that people are feeling comfortable coming back to church. And uh, if you, you know, if you're not feeling comfortable, we do services online every week and that's okay. But man, it's exciting to be back together this morning. Uh, there's a couple things that are coming up at MRCC that I want to tell you about really fast. First of all, if you have a Y chromosome tomorrow night, that's a little science for you guys. Uh, it means you're a guy, a dude. Uh, tomorrow night, we have Band of Brothers. So uh, it'll be fun. If you want to come out, come out. Uh, if you're busy, that's fine. But we'll have dinner tomorrow night. We'll be here at 6 p.m. And uh, we'll have a cool lesson. Mostly, honestly, if you've never been to Band of Brothers, it's just us hanging out, having dinner together, and getting to know one another. So I really uh, enjoy it. But uh, it's tomorrow night. Uh, and then also, we've got something coming up for our kids, just to, just to put it like a 
little thought in your head. Uh, we've got a cool thing for our kids ministry happening that's called Elevate that's going to happen in May. There's more information about that online on our kids' Facebook page and stuff, but Elevate's really cool. It's a little event for our kids that we're doing. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and then the last thing I want to say uh, is we have, uh, we just did a shoe drive. We kind of a last minute rush um, on this shoe drive thing that happened uh, within the last like 10 days here at MRCC. And somebody from our congregation leads a nonprofit organization helping get shoes to kids who are under-resourced. And we gave away 464 pairs of shoes. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, not, not to toot our horn, but just to say, man, it's amazing what God does through us. And we just say, God, use me. So that's really cool. Um, and that was all the things. But I, I want to just really quickly uh, pray for a moment because next weekend is, is Easter. And today's Palm Sunday. It means it's the Sunday before Easter. It's the day we celebrate Jesus riding into Jerusalem and people celebrating that the Savior is here. And, and, and really quick, you know, for us, um, you know, our dreams might be dead. Uh, some of our expectations for the future might be dead. Uh, some of the things that we thought would happen might be dead. Our bank account might look like it's dead, but our hope is not dead. First Peter 1, 10 says that because Jesus is resurrected, we're born again to a living hope because our God's not dead. He's alive. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Because of that also, there are people in our world, in my family, in your family, in your friend group, in your neighborhood, in my neighborhood, people who are waiting for a living hope to arrive in their life. And now right now, I just want to take a moment, and if you would with me, just think of someone that you know uh, that just needs Jesus. And whether you're going to invite them to Easter next weekend or not, that doesn't even matter. But right now, uh, there are lots of people who will join us next weekend for Easter for the first time, and people who have not heard the gospel or have not heard the gospel in a long time. And I just want to take a moment, uh, if you have someone's name on your heart that you're praying for, uh, I want to take a moment and just pray that in our world, and specifically, especially next weekend, God would move in the lives of people who need a living hope like I need a living hope. Amen? Jesus, right now, we just pray for people. God, as we, as we think of specific people, God, not people that, that we think we know better than them, not people, God, that we think we can make better decisions than them, but God, people who are in the same boat as us, people who are dead without Jesus, people who have no hope without Jesus, but God, we pray in Jesus' name that a living hope would arrive in the hearts and lives of people in our community in Jesus' name next week. And as we celebrate the fact that you are alive, we pray that more people would be made alive to your hope in Jesus' name next week. Everybody said amen. And uh, with that said, you can open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be there this morning. It's going to be a good morning. Oh, thanks, Pastor Darius. And uh, if you were... Uh, paying close attention, you'll notice that Band of Brothers tomorrow night happens at 6.30, not at 6. Uh, but come and join us. It'll be a, it'll be a terrific get-together. First Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we are in our Bibles. And you know, as I, um, as I get up to preach this morning, my, uh, my heart is full in a different way that I want to share with you. It was the, actually this week, uh, 14 years ago, that you asked Ron and I to come and uh, serve as your pastors. Uh, April Fool's Day, that's not hard to forget, is it, right? It was April Fool's Day was actually our first time with you. But, you know, we look back over that season, and, and, and here's the truth about, about the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, 
It's not about leadership. It's about followership. Amen. And some of you have, have been walking with me for a long time, walking with us for a long time. And, and our hearts are just filled with gratitude. God has done great things in these last 14 years. We're looking forward to what he's doing. We're actually going to be able to start building more space in the coming year. Super excited about that. Looking forward to sharing that with you after Easter. But um, your followership is what has made MRCC fruitful in this season. So take your right hand, put it over your left shoulder, and pat yourself on the back and say, uh, hey, I've been putting up with Pastor Greg for a long time. That ought to be worth something at judgment. Amen. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Unless you're applauding yourself. But I mean that with all my heart. Uh, it's followership that makes all the difference, and yours has made uh, all the difference. So Easter next week, 8, 9, 10, 11, it's going to be a terrific time together. This morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, uh, you know, we started last week this journey through uh, the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And, and we remind ourselves every time that we pause to do a book uh, journey like this, we remind ourselves that, that maturity means receiving God's word on its own terms, taking his word verse by verse as he wrote it, as he intended, and experiencing first what he says instead of what we think we know or want to know. And so these, these uh, expository journeys through God's Word are all about receiving His Word on His terms. And in, this morning we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1 and going down through verse 12. And, and let me ask you this morning, is there someone in your life who can tell you things you don't want to hear? Do you have somebody like that? Maybe you feel called to be somebody like that, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking if, if you have somebody in your life to whom you have given permission, it's in your heart, that they can say things to you that, that you don't want to hear. That kind of love is hard to find. M most people, honestly, when the moment comes when maybe difficult things have to be said, they just avoid it for fear of being disliked. And other people have no idea how to speak the truth in love as the Bible says. Oh, they can speak the truth, but it's like someone said, the man who always tells the brutal truth loves being brutal more than he loves being true. But to have somebody in your life that can say hard things to you, that's a precious thing. I, I would go so far as to say it is a desperately necessary thing. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8, Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Because sometimes love demands that we speak difficult truths, that we enter into difficult conversations, that we say things that aren't popular and that don't create a warm fuzzy, but create something more important, more precious, and more significant. You heard about the husband who said to his wife, whenever I get mad at you and we have a fight, you never fight back. It infuriates me. How do you control your anger? She said, well, honey, when we fight, I clean the toilet. And he said, well, I don't understand how that can help. She said, well, I use your toothbrush. That's how I do that. And uh, helps me keep things together. But seriously... Love is never more real. Let me say this clearly. 
to us from our Father. Love is never more real, never more real than when it cares enough to find a way to say something that isn't welcome but is important. Like you do with your kids when you're at your best as a parent. You step into hard moments and you find a way to say difficult things to your kids. Why? Because you love them. That's what love does. That's what love is. I think of a man I know whose son is far off the track. He's left his wife. He's left his family. He's involved with somebody else. And this father is in the difficult, excruciating place of having to say to his son, Son, you are wrong. Stop, turn back, or to use the Christian word, repent of what you're doing. That's hard to say. But love cares enough to say those kinds of things. Love is never more real than when it does. Difficult conversations are the end of some relationships, but there are some marriages, some parent-child relationships, some Christian friendships that are so strong in love that hard conversations can and do happen and in fact they are welcome. That's what the writer of Proverbs means when he says rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Paul talks about in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians his willingness to do just that and he talks about why, where he finds the strength, the courage, the love to do that. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, here's what the Bible says. Paul says, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. He's, he's talking about when he went to Thessalonica to plant the church that he's writing to now. He says, our visit to you was not a failure. Now, why would he say that? Because some would be tempted to think maybe it was. He says, we had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. We went there and told them the gospel. It was hard. It was difficult. We paid the price. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. It was hard. It was difficult. It was painful. It made people angry. But we did it anyway. For the the, the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. We're going to talk about what those are in a moment. Nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And we're not trying to please men but God. That's a big deal. When it comes to finding the love to have difficult conversations, that's key. We're not trying to please men but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed as God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or from anyone else. We weren't playing to the crowd. We weren't trying to be popular. Instead, we loved you. And so we came and said difficult but good things to you. Notice what Paul says. We dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. In other words, even though it was hard and people got mad, we told you the truth. That's what love does because love has guts. Real love has guts. You know, church, 
Success in our Father's kingdom isn't measured by popularity. It isn't measured by being well-liked. It isn't measured by being thought highly of. Neither is good parenting or good business or just about anything that's good. Instead, it is measured by spirit and truth. Am I telling the truth? Am I living the truth? And am I doing it in the right spirit, a godly spirit? Many people interpret insults and hardships and opposition as the sign that they're doing the wrong thing. Paul doesn't. He says that goes with the territory. When you're a parent, if you think your entire experience with your child is going to be some hallmark Pollyanna moment, well, you obviously haven't been a parent very long. Because it isn't. It's filled with difficult times which later we look back on and are thankful for and knowing that. We're willing to welcome those kinds of difficult moments. One of the worst things you can do as a parent is to avoid hard conversations with your child. They need to know that you love them enough to tell them the truth or they'll learn to lie to themselves. And that's bad parenting. You know, when I, when I left home and went in the military, I'm ashamed to say, when I left home and just turned 18 and went into the service, I had never done a load of laundry in my life. Nobody ever asked me to do one. My mom never put it on me. She just did it all. So, you know, I had this, this silly experience the first time I did laundry. I'm in the, I'm in the, uh, the laundromat there, and, and uh, the guy next to me is watching me do my laundry, and I put all my stuff in, and I turn it on, and I don't know, hot, cold, whatever seems like hot would make it better. And so I turn it on, and I sit down, and he says, you know, you got to put soap in there. <laughs> I said, Really? Where, where do you get that? Well, you go over here and buy it out of this thing, and you put soap in there. Oh, that, that was how ignorant I was. Now, now, you know, my parents did a lot of things right. That wasn't one of them. <laughs> Why did nobody ever require me to do even one load of laundry? Sometimes we're like that. We never require or ask or confront or engage the hard things. But the ability to have hard conversations is the proof of real love. Jesus had a hard conversation with one of his closest friends in a tender moment. Maybe you'll remember it. We find the story in Matthew chapter 16. The Bible says Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday. He's talking about that journey, that arrival, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must in fact be killed, we would say murdered, and on the third day, raised to life. And hearing this, the Bible says that Peter, one of his friends, one of the people Jesus had chosen, one of his close inner circle, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Sometimes our friendships are nothing more than that moment. We just hope everybody goes along well, everything goes good, everybody's blessed all the time. We never think beyond that. Peter isn't. Lord, this shall never, ever happen. Jesus got done telling them that he was going to Jerusalem to do something important and that he would suffer because of it, that he would die because of it. Peter says, no, 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 that can't be the plan. Never may this never happen to you. And Jesus' response is strong and shocking. He turns to Peter and he says to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. 
You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Wow. How would you feel if Jesus turned and said that to you? I wonder if that would be the end of your friendship with him. I wonder if you would hear that and think he hates me. (laughs) Or he's mad at me and he doesn't want me around. How would you feel in that, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Wow. Do you love enough to confront like that? Jesus did. Jesus does. He speaks to Peter not out of rage, not out of, uh, of hatred, not out of a desire to eject him from his life. He speaks to Peter out of love. He says, Peter, you need a, a major reboot, we would say. You're, you're completely off track. All you're thinking about is how can everything be warm and fuzzy, and real life isn't. Peter was sure that Jesus' suffering at the hands of bad men was a bad thing, and that being executed on a Roman cross couldn't possibly be God's plan, because after all, love is always warm and positive and tribal. May this never happen to you. But Jesus knew better. What's more, he knew that Peter needed to learn the difference between the things of men and the things of God. Lots of people do. Our world is filled with people. Indeed, God's church is filled with people who confuse the two and risk this kind of confrontation. With our Lord. Jesus knew that Peter needed to learn the difference between the things of men and the things of God, or he would never know the God of the cross. You know, at the center of our faith is a sacrifice that someone made because their love was so great that they were willing to say hard and difficult things. That's the nature of love. In the same spirit, Paul says, verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians 2, we dared to tell you. We dared to speak the truth. Followers of Jesus love so much that we're willing to say hard things in love. You know, on more than one occasion over the years, a family has asked me to step into their private world and be part of, of what you and I call an intervention. Whether it was for drug addiction whether it was for criminal activity, whether it was for because of mental illness, whether it was because of just plain old-fashioned sin, I've been asked on a number of occasions to be part of moments like that. And I say to the family every time the same thing in preparation for that moment, I say, are you ready to have a hard conversation? Because if you're not, this won't work. You have got to be able to tell the truth in love. And I've gone to some of those where when the moment came, the whole family ran from it. I've even been in those situations where I started the confrontation and then the family turned on me. It's okay. It goes with the job. It's part of being a Christian. It's part of being a pastor. It's part of being a friend, if you love. And God calls us to that kind of, of life. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. By speaking 
the truth in love. I wonder if God is calling you to do some of that, whether it's to yourself or your spouse or your kids or your parents or your friends. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is our head, that is Christ. In other words, the willingness to speak the truth in love is what makes the difference in a marriage, a family, a friendship, in this Christ-following life. And and church, we, we live at a time when we are called to speak the truth to this culture and to this generation in love. We are called to do that. In my lifetime, I've watched our culture become totally careless about what we say. It's just, we act like it doesn't even matter. Jesus says, by your words you will be acquitted or condemned. Jesus says, man will have to give an account for every idle word they've spoken on the day of judgment. But we've stopped believing that as a culture. And we are called to say, no, guess what? It matters. I'm always kind of amazed when people say, Oh, I posted that 10 years ago. That doesn't still matter. That's not real. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Jesus said everything done in secret will be known, and we're seeing that happen in our technology this day. What you say, what you do, it lives forever. And we are called to remind our generation of that. We are called to remind our generation that Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. What you watch creates you. I'm staggered by how many people think they can watch whatever they want and it won't affect their heart, their spirit, their soul, their life. Yes, it will. Yes, it does. (laughs) Always does. Always does. Increasingly, we've said to one another, you know what, drunkenness is not a big deal. It's kind of fun. It's for special occasions. God says, you're never to be drunk. People get mad at me sometimes when I say that. I didn't say you can't have a glass of wine with dinner. I said you're to never be drunk. Ever. That's God's will. I say that right now. Some people are kind of mad. Well, pastor, you're getting all... No, I'm telling you the truth. And we go on and on with this list. Sexuality, we're called to confront our culture about it. And on and on it goes. When, if ever, do you speak the truth in love? There's a challenge. Followers of Jesus know that we're in the world to have conversations like that. When love motivates you, you're willing to do that. Paul says we dared to do it because... We loved you. That's what Jesus, in fact, catch this gang. This is Palm Sunday. I kind of got a a tickle out of somebody said to me in the parking lot as I came in for first service. They said, Pastor, it's Palm Sunday. He's almost risen. I thought that was funny. I don't think you can say that, actually, but uh, it was a joke. But Jesus was coming on Palm Sunday to have a hard conversation with Israel. He was coming to say some things that people didn't want to hear. During that next week, he would tell Israel that they were, first of all, worshiping the temple instead of worshiping God. He would tell them, hey, your religion has gone off the rails because your religion is all about religion and not about God. You worship the temple, but he would say, I am the temple. He would tell them, you search the scriptures, John chapter 5, verse 44, because you think that by them you have eternal life, but you refuse to come to me, the one about whom the scriptures speak. They worshiped their Bible. They didn't worship God. He would tell them that they were worshiping their nation, what we call patriotism, instead of the mission God gave that nation, which was to reach other nations for him. He would tell them that he wasn't just another prophet, but the very son of God, God the Son. And he would insist on it. And in the end, they would get so fed up that by the end of the week, they would kill him for the things he was saying. 
But as they did, he would pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, because what drove him to say those things was his love for them. And we are called to be his body here and now. I wonder if God isn't calling you to have a hard conversation somewhere in love, to speak the truth in love. That's what love does. It dares to speak, and then it willingly pays the price. Paul says that he dares to speak for the same reason. Look at verses 3 through 6. Because he loves them. He says the, the appeal we make doesn't spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. He says, on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but please God. We're not trying to get popular. We're trying to be true. We want to please God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery. We didn't put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from you or anyone else. Paul identifies four false motives here. Let's take just a second to understand. He says, uh, the appeal we make doesn't spring from error. Error means, in the Greek, ignorance, uh, not knowing what you're talking about. Lots of people in this day and age pretend we know what we're talking about when we don't. I always have a, we have funny conversations in the offices, you know, here and there, a few folks have got COVID and stuff. Well, I think I got it here when I did that. And at the end of every conversation, I always say, you don't know where you got it and neither do I. Nobody knows. And when we pretend we know about something we don't know about, then our motive is error. Paul says, hey, we're not telling you what we don't know about. We're telling you what we do know. The truth about God, this gospel. Proverbs 19 verse 2 says, It's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. So Paul says part of speaking the truth in love is making sure you know what you're talking about before you say it. And then he says our, our appeal doesn't spring from impure motives. It means a desire to gain advantage. Sometimes confrontation is just bullying. God hates that. The scripture says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Paul says, we're not talking to you in order to gain some advantage for ourselves. We want to build you up. We want to increase your experience with God. My uncle has this marvelous ability. He was a high school for teacher for almost 40 years, teacher of the year in the state of Oregon, a huge influence, helped share the gospel with me when I was a young man. He has this marvelous ability if you're around him. He, he can turn the whole conversation around until it's all about building you up. I've seen him do it a thousand times. Walk into some group of people, and pretty soon he's building somebody up. It's amazing how he does it. God says that's how, uh, uh, that's how believers live. That's how our conversations go. And then he says we're not trying to trick you. And that just means good old-fashioned deceitfulness, especially with the desire to control somebody else. When we speak the truth in love, we never seek to manipulate. Instead, we invite others to make choices. <laughs> that, that's what Christians do. That's what love does. Invites other people to make good choices. Sometimes Rhonda will say to me, do whatever you want. And I know that's a dangerous moment. She's inviting me to make a choice and to think about the choice that I'm going to make. And finally, Paul says, we're not trying to please men, not you or anyone else. In other words, when we speak the truth in love, we aren't trying to be popular. We're trying to be honest and helpful. Marvelous story about this in Numbers chapter 22 in your Bible. A man named Balaam was a, was a prophet and he was riding a donkey to deliver a prophecy that he'd been hired to give. It was all uh, a sham. 
And the donkey intervened. The donkey just stopped dead and wouldn't move. Even though Balaam beat the donkey and uh, abused the donkey, the donkey wouldn't move. And then eventually Balaam finds out that there was an angel with a flaming sword that only the donkey could see standing there ready to kill Balaam for what he was going to do. And suddenly Balaam understood the value of what the donkey was doing for him. Christ followers understand that. We're willing to be the donkey. Another way to interpret this story is that you and me need a few jack donkeys in our lives. And we need to be willing to be them as well. God says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death. Do we care enough to try? Challenging this morning. The willingness to speak the truth is the test of whether my relationships are love-driven or just convenient and self-serving. You know, one of the things that, that I learned as a young man when I was in the military is that I'm, I'm actually colorblind in the red spectrum. Okay, so I see colors, they're fine. I see red, I just see red wrong. <laughs> and sometimes my wife will say to me, you're not really going to wear that shirt with those pants, are you? <laughs> you're not going to put that tie with that shirt, are you? Now, each time she says that, I get a little irritated. It looks fine to me. <laughs> she says it's not. <laughs> and then we have this moment when I have to decide whether I'm willing to be confronted or not. And when I remember that the truth is that I don't see red clearly, I say, okay, all right, show me which one I should wear with this. I sometimes still don't get it right. But what would you think of her if she never said anything? If she just withdrew from that whole conversation? Could she be said to love me if she wasn't willing to speak up. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. That's how their fathers treated the false prophets. In other words, false prophets were never willing to have hard conversations. They just told people what they wanted to hear. There's arguably no one in American history more hated than Abraham Lincoln. We think of him as a much-loved man. We have a giant marble statue of him in our capital that millions of people visit every year. We think of him as a beloved figure, but we forget that when his boots were on the ground, he was probably the most hated and reviled man in America, blamed for dividing the nation, blamed for inciting a civil war, blamed for refusing to back down. Blamed by some for speaking against racism. Most of his life, he was paying the price for speaking the truth in love. It's only now that we say, what a great man. Christ followers understand that, so we're willing to walk where he walked in the meantime because love wants more than safety. Who is it that God is calling you to speak to? Who is it in your life that you'll allow to confront you and to speak unwelcome things to you? We're almost done this morning. Paul goes on to say, verses 6 and following, As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for little children. It's not just speaking the truth. It's speaking the truth in love. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, not merely speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. 
encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who called you into his kingdom and his glory. In other words, Paul says, we considered you to be family. Lots of us have this sharp divide in our lives. There's family, I care about them. Then there's everybody else, I don't. Paul said, I see you all as family. And sometimes people give me a hard time because I, I often greet, hey, my brother, hey, my sister, but I mean it. Because Jesus says that's what happens when we become Christians. We become family. He says, I was gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We were delighted to share our lives. We dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you. This was his spirit. But his message was, you're a sinner who needs to be saved by grace. You need to repent. It wasn't just truth. It wasn't just speaking. It was speaking the truth in love. God wants you and me to see the world around us like family because that's how God loves us. We live in a time, church, when it's getting harder to speak the truth in love. And so some have decided that speaking the truth is all that matters and stopped even trying to speak it in love. Others have decided that love means avoiding hard conversations and call such conflict avoidance love, but it isn't. The people of God are different. Like the mom or dad of a struggling teenager, we look for ways to speak the truth in love. We don't give up, we don't quit, we don't withdraw. To the racist, we say, you're wrong, but we're not going to answer your hate with hate. To the homosexual, we say, this is wrong, but we love you, and God wants to father you into a better life. To the man who wants to worship his country alongside the Savior, we say, this is wrong. You serve your country best when you put Jesus first, and we want to do that with you. To the addict, we say, we can't enable what you're doing to yourself, but we want to help you. And on and on it goes. To the young couple living together outside of marriage, we say, this isn't how you build a strong marriage. Let us help you understand how that happens. And on and on it goes. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. The scripture says that that's what Jesus did. Let me finish with a story from his life. Matthew chapter 9 tells us that Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house with many tax collectors and sinners who had come to eat with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the wrong crowd? with the tax collectors and sinners? It's a good question. And Jesus gave a good answer. He said it was because he loved them so much that he wanted to find a way to speak the truth to them in love. Here's how he said it. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That's who needs me. So go and learn what this means. He said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice says all that matters is I speak the truth. Mercy says I want to find a way to speak it in love. For I have not come to call the righteous, Jesus said, but sinners. That's what love does. It looks for a way to speak the truth in love. You know, I remember one long weekend when our son was a teenager and things were tough. And I was having a confrontation with him and it was difficult and it was hard. And at one point in that conversation, he went to his room and 
I went into the bathroom and I was sitting there thinking, nobody said being a dad was going to be this hard. And then feeling that, my wife came in and closed the door and she said, honey, you're being too harsh right now. That's not what I wanted to hear. I was thinking of ways to be a lot more harsh, actually, in the moment. She said, I know what you're trying to do, but you're being too harsh right now. Man, that was hard to hear. I felt like I was battling for my son's soul, and I was. But she could see more than I could see, and so she said, you're being too harsh right now. And I I had to own that. I had to either say, I'm mad at you for saying that. How dare you? Or I could say, maybe you see something I don't. Maybe you see something I don't. And as a consequence, I went back upstairs, and we had a deeper conversation. It was one of the more memorable ones of his teenage years. It would have been easy for Rhonda not to say a word, (laughs) but she cared too much. She loved too much. And that's what God calls us to. Let me me just ask you this morning, is there somebody God is calling you to have a, a hard conversation with? To speak the truth in love. That's how we grow up. That's how we become like our Savior, our Master, our Leader. That's what followership looks like. I wonder if God isn't calling you to let yourself hear something hard that he wants to say to you, your spouse, or maybe your kids. Love tells the truth. That's what Jesus was doing on Palm Sunday. That's how we get ready for Easter. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? God, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we recognize that that we need to hear hard things sometimes. And Lord, we recognize that you taught us we need to say hard things sometimes. Say them in love. But say them. And Lord, we ask for your blessing and your help with that. We ask that you would give us the, the love and courage to speak the truth to friends to one another in our families to allow ourselves to be confronted by you the way you confronted Peter oh Jesus we pray that we would be wise men and women who love you for your rebuke who love one another for the good gift of a rebuke Lord we pray for that give us your spirit that we might be your people We pray it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? You know, it's really just a question of whether we love enough to say hard things. It's really just a question of whether we see our fellow man as family or not. And God invites us to. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.